0: Thank you for listening to the Life Church podcast. For more information, go to LifeChurchofcolumbia.org. I am super excited to talk this morning to share with you about family. This is one of my favorite topics to speak on and and, and continuing in the first things first series. We, uh, we are going to deal with the family in the kingdom culture. What does it look like? What, what did the kingdom establish, and, and how do we operate together, and, and, and just all those types of things. So we're going to go through some stuff, and I didn't want to move on from this, this First Things First series without dealing with the kingdom aspect of family, and what it looks like, and how, how it was established by Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor made a, a statement during one of his sermons, and he said, God didn't call you to a, relig- a religion, he called you into a royal family. And it just stuck out to me, and I just couldn't get past that statement. And I've just been pondering on it and, and praying over it and searching it out and looking at all kinds of stuff. And as I begin to prepare for this weekend, uh, some of you remember that last year sometime I taught a uh, three-week series on, called Family Culture. Some of y'all remember that, and I spent three weeks just dealing how family operate together in the body of Christ, what it looks like, what it feels like. Uh, so anyway, I, we may revisit slightly on some of those things, but I really want to move into a different aspect of this today. And uh, I really want to, uh, how do I say this? Maybe establish the way Jesus came and reset the family. Does that make sense? Um, God established the family from the very beginning. Satan come in and tore the family apart, and it's what he still does today. He tries to tear families apart whatever way, whatever way possible he can. Because no matter No matter if the family is saved or lost, when a family unit is together, it's a reflection of God. Saved or lost, you you have to buy into that because you can't operate in something God established and it not point to God. So even those that are lost and won't even admit that he's real or admit that he is God, even them being a family testifies that there is a God. All right, I thought that was good. Apparently y'all didn't. Let's move on. So anyway, I, w- I want to start looking at this and show how Jesus really established it. And this is going to be very different today because if I was to go in and reference every scripture that I'm going to deal with today in context, we would literally be here as long as when dad preaches. And we're not going to do that. So some of y'all get that joke later. Uh, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to need you to pull from your own personal database of the New Testament and the works of Jesus and the life of Jesus and pull from those to take in the context of what I'm going to deal with today. Normally, you know me as an expository preacher where I just take scripture for scripture and we just break it down and we dive into it. Today is going to be totally different. It's going to feel more like a conversation and I am some kind of excited about it. So y'all ready to get into this? Y'all gonna help me this morning? Uh, My goal here is to show you the changes that took place pretty much between the book of Malachi and the book of Acts. So the four gospels we have, the four accounts of Jesus' life, we are going to fly through them and see exactly what Jesus transformed in that moment. Because I feel like it's obvious to focus on the fact that he did signs, wonders, and miracles, and, and he preached. And all these, all these things that we focus on that he did that were phenomenal and they were awesome. And even the cross and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, we're not belittling any of that. They're all phenomenal. But I feel like there's contextual things that took place that were changed that we'll overlook if we're not paying attention. And most of them refer to the family. So first I want you to understand that I believe that he came to dismantle a system and establish a family. This was Jesus' goal at first. When he showed up on the scene, they had turned everything into a system. It was systemized. It was institutionalized. And it was a system that they worked through instead of a family that they lived in. So Jesus' first goal when he came up was to establish that religion is a system, but the kingdom is a family. So when you join Life Church, you're not joining a system you're not joining a a group of people that have a set regulation of how we think things should be. You're joining a family. On our visitor cards it says, when you showed up here today, you were a guest, but now you're family. And family meets at 10:30 on Sunday mornings. For some of y'all, it's 11, 11:15, whatever. Uh, We're not going to get into that today. Next week, we'll deal with punctual and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Right, Brother (laughs) Freddie? Me and him just talked this morning. But anyway, so you've joined a family, and today that's what I want to deal with, the family. I was blessed growing up with what I considered the best family anyone could ask for. Uh, My dad has been a preacher all my life, and yes, that does come with its own set of struggles but my dad has been the best father of anybody I've ever seen or ever met. So much so that he was more of a father to most of the kids I grew up with than their own father was. So I was blessed to come up in this. And recently we did a Connect series on our podcast channel. Uh, If y'all haven't went and checked it out, go look it up. uh, With Pastor. And we talked about family and the family culture that had been established here uh, at Live Church and how his family values at home are what directed and guided the family culture that He created that that is being established, let's put it that way, here at Life Church of just wanting to be a family. He talks about family values. So I was blessed to grow up in that type of a family. That now I know how to be a husband because I saw my dad be a husband. And I know how to be a father because I saw my dad be a father. And, and those types of things. And what's beautiful about this is it's exactly the way God designed it. God's intentions was never for you to learn to be a father by anybody else but your own father. That was the way he designed it. He didn't need you to go to school or buy a book. What he wanted you to do was watch your father. And in watching your father, then you could learn to be a father. So now you see why Satan come in and messed up the family. Because he broke the chain. And then we have a lot of people coming up right now that are coming up in a generation that has a lot of bad stuff on them. But mostly because no one ever showed them how to be a father. No one showed them how to be a son. No one showed them how to be a daughter. So the family system is the design of God, and today we're going to dive into the, not system, I'm doing away with that word. The family setup is the design of God, and we're going to deal with that in the kingdom today. So the system has made it, the the religion has made it about titles and positions, but Jesus made it about relationship and influence. That's what I want to show you. See, a title does not determine who you are relationships and influence determine that to put it to you this way you're not a father because someone calls you dad you're a father based on the relationship and the influence you have on that person does that make sense like this the system that is established in america today by paper and by that system may have someone labeled as a father but if you do away with the system and ask the family the family is going to call him a father based on his relationship and influence with his kids. Because I had some friends growing up who, by law, had a father, but by relationship, didn't have a father. Does that make sense? The system had come in, and religion had established positions and titles that would deem someone father or leader or whatever you may say it may be, but according to the relationship they had with the people, There was no fatherhood. There was no family. There was no connection. So Jesus came to change something back, to switch this back to the way that God had designed this to be. That some men that don't even have biological children are better fathers than those that do because of relationship and influence on someone's life. I remember uh, growing up when I first started playing basketball and I come up under uh, Coach Lettsinger. Colby, you remember Coach Lettsinger? And he was just one of those coaches that from the first day he felt like a dad. He wasn't so driven to win that he forgot that we were young boys that needed to be molded and needed to be trained. I mean, we were in junior high. That's the most awkward years of your life. You just There's so much going on. You're just like, can I hide in a room until I'm an adult? And you're going through all this stuff, and I had coaches that were just so driven to win. They didn't care what you did on the weekends. They didn't care what you were doing with your life. All that mattered was what you did between the whistles. But I had this coach, Coach Lettsinger, that was so different. And I believe he was that way because of his family. He also had a boy that was my age. So he understood the importance of having to father us in that time of our life. So some guys that may not be your biological father end up being the father. And, 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 and this is the setup that Jesus was shooting for, something that was more about relationship and it was about influence. So the, dis, the, the religious system of that day had become more like a faculty and less like a family. Most of the positions and the things they held became more important than the relationship with the people that they were holding it over. In other words, their title as leader and teacher was more important to them than the influence and the effect they were having on the people that they were over. So much so that by this time, the, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees had added 300 and something laws to the original law. And a lot of those laws were set to separate them from certain kinds of people. If you ever begin to join a body or a family or a church that has laws that separate you from people, understand that it is the exact opposite of everything Jesus came to do. Anything that builds separation or takes you away from somebody because of your position or because of your place, it is outside of everything Jesus came to establish. And the religious system had done so much. So I begin to think, God help us that we never become so position and title driven that would ever separate me from anyone. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your position is. Most of you have worked on several jobs, and you know that the job you do your best at is the job where the boss doesn't boss you. Does that make sense? When he feels like he actually has your interests in mind, that he actually wants you to be a better person, that he's actually fathering you in that job, not allowing his title to separate you. To me, one of the best bosses, of course, I had the privilege of working for my dad for a while. But just out of high school, I went to work for a man named Billy Markenthal, and we built houses. And I remember at one point, I mean, he was the boss. He owned the company. He could do what he want and make me do everything I didn't want to do. But I remember we were wrapping up. We had worked till late one day. You're talking about Southeast Texas summers. I mean, it feels like it's 4,000 degrees outside. And you're just about to die. And we finally get to the end of the day. And so I'm having to roll up extension cords. Those of you that have worked on building houses, you know everything's ran off generations. So I'm rolling up extension cords and I feel like I'm about to die. And I turn around and look and he's behind me rolling up the next one. He didn't have to. He owned the company. He could have sat in the truck with the air conditioner running and said, all right, when you get that loaded up, we'll leave. Because I've worked with people like that. But it's when you begin to understand the importance of the relationship and the influence. Those are the types of people you begin to see the established uh, setup that God designed this to be. This is called relational position. Relational position puts you over someone based on your relationship with them, not your title. My dad isn't over me because his, his title is Dad. He's over me because of the relational influence he's had on my life and my upbringing. That's the way the church is supposed to be. That's why, how do I say that without, I don't want to be offensive. That's what, let's just do it this way. That's why here at this church, we don't vote people into positions because you can vote someone in by a title or by who they are or what they've accomplished. What happens here at Life Church is people start operating in relationship and influence and all of a sudden you just say, "Wow, they're an elder." Why? Because of the relationship and the influence that they have on the people around them. You see what I'm saying? This is what Jesus came to establish. This is what he came to re-establish. So relational position is how the family works. And God didn't intend for the people to adopt ranks and place themselves in positions that they deemed higher than others. In the systems, in the system, in religion, there are bosses. In the kingdom, there are fathers. I believe this is why in 1 Samuel 8, God didn't want to give the people a king, because they weren't supposed to operate like the world. In 1 Samuel 8 and 5 says, Now make us a king. They come to the prophet. Make us a king to judge us. Notice the end. Like all the other nations. In other words, the system that you've set up, God, we've decided we want the system that they have. We've decided we want to operate like those around us operate. And even though Jesus came 2,000 years ago and tore down this mindset, I feel like a lot of churches have slipped into saying the same thing. Let's run this like they run it, let's operate this thing how they operate. See what we've done is we've decided let's just adopt a business mindset. Let's adopt the judicial mindset. Let's adopt the way they're running this thing because it looks successful. And the 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 the, the, the children of Israel has decided their kingdom looks successful. So why don't we just adopt something that they've already got established? And the prophet was angry and God wasn't happy. Why? Because they wanted to adopt something that someone else had established. It was never supposed to be about title driven positions. It was supposed to be about a family. They wanted to adopt a system that the people around of the people around them and God just wanted them to operate like a family. We should operate in a way that makes the world realize they have it wrong, not in a way that mimics them. Just because it works in a local business does not mean it's God's design. Mm, I really want to get into this. See, we've been very quick to, well, if it brings a lot of people to this business, maybe it will bring a lot of people to our business. And we've adopted mindsets that have done away with the family aspect. And we've adopted systems that don't look like a family. The family is what God established. The family is the desire that Jesus was after. He came to reestablish what God designed in the garden, and that was a family. So Jesus came to take care of this situation. So does the atmosphere of the church, of the body of Christ, does it feel more like faculty, or does it feel more like family? Because which one do you think is more productive? When you feel like you're coming to a place, and you're an employee, and you just have to show up and do what they say and go where they go and act like they act and, and all those types of things, and you're being lorded over, or a family that takes you in, that, that shows you how to do life, not tells you how to do life. Maybe that's the key. Maybe we've done a lot of telling people what to do, but not enough showing them what to do. I believe the next aspect that he came to change was discipleship. And I wanted to show you this picture because I believe when, when, when this happened the other day, God began to download into me the design of the family. And this is what he intended discipleship to look like. At this moment, I'm trying to teach Stephen to ride his bike without training wheels. And if you see him later, don't push him in the stomach because he's got a pretty good scar from it, okay? So, but I told him it's cool, di- chicks will dig it, so he's, he's fine with it now. But as we begin this process I began to look at how I was having to train him as the father and he was the child and there was something he needed to learn how to do that I already knew how to do. So in the moment, I felt like I was doing all the teaching and he was doing all the learning. But in reality, Holy Spirit began to show me that I may be teaching him how to ride without training wheels, but he's teaching me how to be patient and encouraging. And then God began to show me the genius of the family. That when a young Christian comes in into a family, there's fathers and mothers and and Christians who have been in it longer whose job is to teach them to do things that they didn't know how to do when they got there. But the problem is we've only allowed the learning to go one way. And we're not showing grace and encouragement and learning patience and learning these types of things when the learning is supposed to go both directions. It was the design of God. I teach Stephen what he don't know, and he teaches me the important things I need to learn in life. As leaders, as as, let's say Christians in here that have been in this for a while, what would you think is more important? Learning to ride without training wheels or learning to be patient and encouraging? So who was really in the best class? Have we lost this aspect in the church that I need you and you need me? I need to teach you some things you don't know yet and you need to teach me some patience because you're a young, immature Christian that's going to drive me crazy. Can we just be real? You're going to fall off the bike, and you're going to cry, and you're going to want to quit, and you're going to want to quit trying to ride, and you're going to say, riding a bike with no training wheels isn't for me. And me, as the dad, I'm going to have to say, no, you get back on the bike, you try it again. No, you get back on the bike, you try it again. And learn to do it without saying, give me the stupid bike. Man, that's too real. That's too applicable. That's, that's too close to home, Right? But instead, leadership in the church has become about positions and titles. And if you can't do it right, give me that bike. I'll do it myself. So then what we end up having is a bunch of adults riding around on little bitty bikes. Oh, come on. Man. You know why? Because we didn't let the learning go both ways. I believe God spent the last, how long you been here, Colby? six years five years i believe god spent the last five years preparing me to preach this message because he gave me colby (laughs) and you want to talk about learn some patience can i get an amen from russ you want to talk about learn some patience but it was understanding that for the first few years of bringing colby into ministry and teaching him what i know i wasn't allowing it to go both ways and because of it, I found times where it was, I'm not even going to text him, I'm not even calling, I'll just do it myself. I'm just being real, and I can be real, he knows, he knows my heart. You know what I mean? But it, it was coming to that place of understanding, that's not how a family works. Because if I do that, then my son never learns anything. And worse than that, I never learned to be patient. And I never learned to be encouraging. And I never learned to, to adapt to those situations. So Jesus said, I'm coming to do away with this idea that you're in a position, position and you have a title and you get to lord over them and tell them what to do. That's not the way this works. It's a two-way street. As a matter of fact, if I remember right, it was Jesus who put the towel on first, right? It was Jesus who knelt down and washed their feet. See, in the family, there's no job too small. When you're a father... There's nothing too small for you to do for your children, right? Any dads in the house? Can I get a witness? When your daughter walks up to you with a little pink Barbie phone and hands it to you, you answer it. And you carry on an entire conversation until she tells you you're done. Why? Because I'm learning and I'm building relationship, the most important thing. When we do away with the family atmosphere, we do away with relationship. And I could come home like a drill sergeant, and I could tell my wife and kids, oh, I couldn't tell my wife. I could tell my kids what to do, and I could have it lined out and have everything done just the way I want it, only to leave and go to work or be over here or doing whatever and come in and line them out again. And they may do the right thing, but they won't have a relationship with me. There'll be a there'll be schi- schism there. There'll be something between us. There'll always be something there of, well, yeah, he came and made us do stuff, but that was about it. No, it's the times when I can come in and get on his tail because his room isn't clean, but also turn around and say, hey, let's go have some ice cream. Let's go build some relationship with one another. We have to begin to see this family aspect. In the system, we tend to know a lot, but we just don't do a lot. That one's free. I'm going to let you all have that one. What happens is we end up making learning the end and not the means. See, before Jesus, the disciples were all about learning. They could they memorized the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. They had it completely memorized. Any scripture verse you want, you throw it out there, boom, they can memorize it and say it to you. They learned, they knew. You look at Paul's testimony. He talks about, I was a scholar among scholars. I was a Jew among Jews. All these types. Of, it was all about learning. It was all about what they could acquire. It was all about what they could take in, but it was never about what they could do for you. And Jesus came in and said, look, I'm going to set up a new type of discipleship. And in this discipleship, I'm going to say some things and then expect you to do it. I'm going to give you some hands-on training. How crazy would it have been for me to take Stephen... Sit him down at a desk and try to explain to him how to ride a bicycle without him seeing, touching, feeling, or attempting to ride a bike. The sad part is I just described most churches Sunday mornings. All right, this is how you ride a bike. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. You go out, you do this, you do that, and then Nothing. There's no hands-on. There's no, all right, here's you an opportunity. Get plugged in with our outreach team. Hit the streets. Pray for people. Love people. Come to our soup kitchen. Get involved. Be with the people. Invest in the community. All these types of things, but it's just a system of this is the way you're supposed to do it. And Jesus shows up on the scene and flips the script. He shows up and spends a little bit of time saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it feels like. Let me even show you what it's like. And heals somebody, only for a few chapters later to say, all right, your turn. And he begins to change. You know why he changed it to this type of teaching? Because that's how we teach in the family. I remember growing up when I got my first truck, my dad didn't sit me down and take me through uh, courses and give me a pamphlet and, show me how to ch- and tell me how to change the oil in my truck. No, we went outside and we changed the oil in my truck. Because in the family, you learn by hands on. You don't sit in a classroom and try to figure everything out. No, you get out there and you do it and you mess up. Now, I'm totally going to blame Dad for his inability to teach me how to change the oil because I don't want to take responsibility for this. But I remember the very first time we tried it, I checked the oil, you know, took the little dipstick out, checked it, okay, yeah, swapped the oil filter, and we're getting ready to put the oil back in. I'm just standing there staring at it. Just my mind is racing, and I notice Dad standing to the side looking at me like he's just waiting to see what my genius 16-year-old brain is going to come up with. And he's watching me. Finally, I turned to him and said, Dad, how in the world are we going to pour the oil in that little bitty hole? (laughs) Yeah, you know where the dipstick goes? (laughs) So after he got off the floor from laughing, he gets up and he comes over and, and begins to show me, no, look, son, that's where you check the oil. This is where you add the oil. And it seems crazy in the moment. But see, in a family, that's how we learn to be productive in the kingdom. You get out there and you make some mistakes and you ask some questions and sometimes it feels dumb and sometimes you stand there as long as you can scratching your head because you're saying, I don't want to ask. I don't want to say it. They're going to think I'm an idiot. They're gonna, no, we're not going to think you're an idiot. We're going to think you're a son or you're a daughter and your desire is to learn how to do it. So even if right now you may be trying to pour the oil in that little bitty dipstick hole, Quit being a dipstick and listen. <laughs> I had to. I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> and ask someone, find a father or a mother in the church, in the body, and say, hey, I don't know how to do this. I can't figure out how to deal with this temper, or I can't figure out how to deal with these thoughts, or I can't figure out how to move into this area. I need you to show me. And then us as parents, us as the older ones in this, the more mature Christians, we don't need to get a pamphlet out and send them through a 12-step course. We need to say, watch this. When these young ones come up in children's church and are saying, well, well, well will they say God can heal, and how do we pray? We should be able to say, watch this. Watch me. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the family system. These kids you see in our worship services that are standing up there with their hands raised and they're jumping, they're doing that because they see parents doing that. They're learning. They're learning by the family system. This is what Jesus established. He built relationships and taught them how to do life in the kingdom by doing life in the kingdom. Let me say that again. He taught them to do life in the kingdom by doing life in the kingdom. It wasn't a series of meetings. It wasn't a series of classrooms. It was everyday life. Hey, we're at the supermarket. Let me show you something. Let me teach you something about this. Hey, we're, we're, out, at the, we're out at the docks. Let me teach you something about this. Let me show you how to do, the, do your job in the kingdom. Let me show you how to go to the grocery store living in the kingdom. Let me show you how to love someone that doesn't love you back to the kingdom. Let me show you because this is what family does. I started with telling you I learned to be a father and I learned to be a husband and I learned to be a brother and I learned to be all these things by watching my dad. That's the design of the kingdom. Any of you newer converts in here, you that maybe haven't been here this long, we as the established ones should be able to tell you just as Paul told the church. Imitate me because I'm just imitating Christ. Us that are established and have been our lives should be at the point by now that a young Christian can know what it looks like to live like Jesus by looking at our lives. Because that's the way He designed it. It's like a family. Luke chapter 11 seems like the failure chapter because the disciples get so much wrong. But in reality, it was them learning to do what they were taught. It was hands on training. I feel like this is what's missing in the church these days there's no hands on training. You know why we don't read about the Pharisees getting it wrong during their training? Because you can't get it wrong if you never get out of the classroom. If you're sitting there right now and you can't think of a time where you totally blew it as far as trying to witness to someone or trying to pray for someone or trying to give a word of knowledge, or, and you can't, you're thinking, "Man, I, I don't know that I've ever blown it." It's because you've never tried it. You can't fail if you don't try, and you can't learn until you fail. Oh, y'all ain't ready for that. Because failure has such a black mark on it. Really? Well, then every one of the disciples are disqualified because they failed bad. Peter cussed and said he didn't know him. John and another one tried to call down fire and burn up an entire city. I mean, all the disciples apparently were there and tried to pray for a boy and he couldn't be healed. Failure was a part of the learning curve. Stephen wrecking his bike was a part of him learning how to ride his bike. You can't fall off your bike if you never take the training wheels off. Some of us Christians have a perfect record because we don't do anything. I would rather have someone with some scars and some scrapes because they got out there and tried it than to have someone who's never done anything. The scars are not a bad thing. They're proof that you've been trying. They're proof that you got out there and did it. I'll never forget the first time we had summer intensive here and we brought all the students in. We took them into prayer and we said, we want you to pray and ask Holy Spirit to show you someone. Whatever it was, there was a the color of their shirt or, or whatever and we're going to go in the community we're going to find that person. We're going to tell them that God showed them to you and then we're going to pray for them. So we sat here and prayed and they all wrote down little notes of what they thought was right and we went to the mall. We went to walking around and it was so awesome seeing them students. They'd come running up to you. I actually saw them. Like I actually saw the person that I saw in prayer and they were just so blown away. Well, one instance, Colin comes walking up to this older lady that's sitting by the fountain and just very politely says, hi, ma'am, you know, I would just like to talk to you about Jesus. And son, she tore him up. I was standing back going, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, she didn't want to hear about Jesus, and she let him know. And he just left there like a scalded dog. He was just tail between his legs, his head was down. Just Man, he was so distraught. We, me and Colby took him to the side and said, you know what? If you would have never attempted it, it would have been a failure. But you taking the risk, you stepping out and even trying, yeah, it hurt in the moment, and his feelings were hurt, and he was emotional, and I didn't know old women talked like that, and <laughs> it was just tough, you know what I mean? Like, I was used to growing up under Nanny Whitmire, and she's like so proper and kind, and this lady was not. <laughs> Jesus touch her. But it was the experience. It was the experience that he learned from. So Jesus came to establish this type of hands-on family training that I can honestly with pride say everything my son knows how to do right now, he learned it from his dad. Except for the, except for the negative stuff, he learned that from his mom. Except for the attitude, that's on her side. But e- even that, We have to get back to the understanding that in the body of Christ, that's how this thing is set up. We learn with this type of hands-on training of being a part and understanding how much we need each other. Understanding that I need Stephen to learn what I need to know and he needs me to learn what he doesn't know how to do. That's the beauty of the family. I don't have a clue where I'm at. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Now you all have a crazy mental picture. You're welcome. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. I want you to look around in this room right now and realize there's not a single person in this room that you don't need. I didn't say want or care about. I said need. These scriptures actually go on to say that every part supplies what's needed. So when you decide to misdiscommunicate or disconnect from someone in this body, you just lost something you needed. You just hurt yourself. We all need each other. It's the way he set it up. Let's move on. So Jesus' desire was to take it from institutional classrooms to everyday life lessons. That's how you learn in the family. You learn by doing life together. It's how we learn how to work. It's how we learn how to treat people. It's how we learn all these types of things, that it's everyday life lessons. And I want, I want to get this point out before we, before we move on. I believe the reason people in church today are always talking about the deep things of God and wanting to deal with the book of Revelation is because we don't have to do anything with it. It's too far out there, it's too crazy, and it's too futuristic. And I mean all that with no disrespect. But we tend to go for that so we aren't responsible for it in our everyday lives. When I get up here and deal with the meaning of the ashes of the red heifer and the 33 years of Levitical priesthood and the rain and all those types of things, you don't have to do anything with it. You can leave it right here and go back and it affects your world none. I'm going to even be as bold to say, no, I'm not. Holy Spirit just said I couldn't. But we get into these things because if I teach something everyday life applicable, then you're responsible for it. Then you go back to your job and say, Dang, I remember what he said. (laughs) I remember what he said about handling this situation. If he would have just talked about the the millennial reign and if he would have talked about all that stuff, I would have been a lot better off today. But because he told me how to handle this person that's not treating me right, now I'm responsible for handling it the right way. So we've pursued all these future deep, all kinds of things. I just, in my recollection, Jesus didn't sit down with the disciples in a classroom and teach them homiletics and hermeneutics. He didn't debate theology or the oneness or the Trinitarian. He didn't delve into the meaning of the ashes, the red heifer, or how to understand the order of the end times. He taught and demonstrated them how to love God and love people. That was a mouthful. The church has sought after these big things so we're not responsible for loving our neighbor. We're not responsible for applying it to me right now. How does it affect me on my job? How does it affect me at school? How does it affect me at work? How does it affect me at the grocery store? How does it affect me in everyday life? So Jesus didn't sit down and start teaching them all this crazy stuff. Instead, he said, Let's go to the supermarket or whatever they had back then. Let's go to the docks, let's go to the temple. And let me show you how life is done in the kingdom. Because then they were responsible to do it just like he did it. I will be so bold to say that the most important things we learn in our life aren't taught in a classroom. As a matter of fact, I don't remember most of what I learned in a classroom. Children that are in here, high schooler students, that's not an excuse. You get an education, you go to college, and you make the best of everything you can. But I don't remember most of what I learned. But you know what I do remember? I remember those times out there with my dad changing the oil in my truck. I do remember those moments of, of, of following him around in the woods, carrying a chainsaw that was twice as big as me, trying to do everything he did. Those are the times I remember. Those are the times that shaped me into who I am. Can I be so bold to say that Sunday morning is not going to shape you into who you're supposed to be? If it was, America would be the most Christ-like nation in the world because we have more church than anyone. But it's the everyday life lessons. How does it affect me at my job? How does it affect me when I'm around the people that don't treat me like the church treats me? Those are the moments where we learn and we know enough. We have to be careful because we'll be tempted to think that this isn't spiritual enough. But God established the family, so how could it not be? Usually if someone says this isn't spiritual enough for me, it just means that it's too applicable and it leaves them with too much responsibility. First of all, if someone says that it's not spiritual enough for them, you need to rebuke the pride that's in them. And then remind them of the fact that Jesus' teaching was the most simple, basic, and applicable that could ever be found. And it changed their lives forever. Forever. Forever last point i'm out of your way the church which is the family i guess the church how did this shape the way life in the kingdom was done after jesus left they did it like a family when jesus left when he rose from the grave spent a few days with them blew all their minds tore out from that point on they just started operating like a family. I want to show you what I mean. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice, breaking of bread. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. Everybody say together. together. And that all things in common, that means whole, complete union. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. If someone in the family needed something, they made sure they got it. That's family. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and what? From house to house. And they what? Ate their food with gladness. These people like to eat. Praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had time together. They sat down and ate meals together. When's the last time you sat down and had a meal with some member of this church family? Oh, that's not spiritual enough. Really? It was spiritual enough for them? As a matter of fact, it talks about them eating together more than it talks about them praying together. Oh, yes, that's that's not even right. But it was because they were family. They spent so much time together and they had a simplicity of heart. The religious system taught them to gather in a temple and do religious stuff. But the kingdom taught them to gather in their homes over a good meal. You're going to need simplicity of heart to really receive this aspect of the family. You'll want to do more. You'll want to make it more spiritual. You'll want to make it more preachy. You'll want to make it more whatever. But Jesus said, no, I didn't come to make it all those things. I came to make it a family. I came to bring it back to what it looks like. So Jesus took it from religious meetings to family gatherings. He took it from a system to a family. When I read about the, the system that was established before Jesus came on the scene, I can't find anywhere where people were added to it daily. I can't find anywhere where thousands were changed and wrecked and ruined in the presence of God. But when I fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and I see that they begin to operate like a family, being praying together and eating together, doing life together, all of a sudden people just start joining this thing. You know why? Because people aren't looking for a system. The lost aren't looking for rules and regulations and a system that's established that works like clockwork. They don't care about all that. They go to jobs like that every day. What they're looking for is a family that when they come in, they feel like they belong. They feel like they're a part of this family. And they feel like that if they had a need, the family would meet it. See, this is too applicable and it gives us too much responsibility because instead we want to pray, all right, God, bless them and give them all their needs. God said, I did bless them. I put them in your family. And when I've placed them in your family, now it's your job to bless them. I don't go around expecting all you to give my kids stuff. He's my kid. I'll give him some stuff. And it's Paul (laughs) because he's just another father. The, the, oh, the overruling father, that's what he is. Can I use that? <laughs> so, so when you begin to understand this, you don't go around asking everybody else to give your kids money. At least I hope you don't. No, you take joy saying, "You know what? He goes, "Son, I'm not giving that to you." It's <laughs> talking about Stephen. You see what I'm saying? Do, do y'all feel my heart on this? that when they begin to operate in the family that Jesus set up, it literally goes on to say that none of them did without. No one was without anything because they were a part of the family. It doesn't say no one was out without anything because they prayed and asked God for it. Now, hold on, I'm about to stretch you a little bit. That's not what the scripture says. Do I believe that we can pray and ask God and he'll bless us and give us things? By all means, he is the father of fathers and he gives the best gifts. But in the context of them operating as a family, it says they had what they needed because the family gave it to them. Wow. Talk about applicable responsibility. That's what we're called to do. This is the system. This is the setup that we're called to operate in. Whoever's coming up, you you, you can put some music on. We're not going to spend a lot of time in this altar call. But I want you to leave here understanding today that here at Life Church, our desire, what drives us, as a matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, we even got to learn from those who established this church that it started like a family. Literally one of them when we were sitting in that conversation one of them said that that we were like family We were always at each other's houses. We were always spending time together We prayed together. We ate together and ate together and ate together and ate together If y'all can't tell i'm stressing that so if anybody wants to take me out to lunch today, we can be family. All right Yeah, I got that in there didn't I? But I begin to see the importance that we're not coming up with a new design We're not reinventing anything Not only did God establish this from the beginning, He established this church. This church was established on a family aspect. And God hasn't changed His mind. God hasn't changed His mind about any of it. So I'm going to do an altar call. Uh, I feel like I would be wrong not to. First and foremost, if you're not in the family, the family of God, I'm not talking about a member of, of, of life church family. I'm talking about a member of the family. If you're not born again, if you haven't been adopted into this amazing family, today is your day. God is not sitting in heaven saying, when you get all this right, I'll bring you in. No. He's saying, I cannot wait to sign on the dotted line and say, you're mine. I love you that much with all your junk, with all your baggage, with all your hurt, all your heartache. I just love you, and I want you to be a part of my family. If that's you, these altars are open, and we have people here that would love to pray with you. Secondly, if you are born again, you are a part of the family of God. But you don't feel like you're a part of the family. Colby touched on it earlier. You don't feel like you belong to the family. First, I want you to understand that it's a lie from the enemy and that whatever he's told you about the people here that makes you feel like an outsider is a lie because it's not the truth and we do not feel that way. I mean, come on. If we'll take Nathan Plunkett, we'll take anybody. So first of all, do not buy into that lie. You belong to this family. If you call this church home, we love you. We are here for you. We will give to you and invest into you. If you have a need, let us know. Let us know and we as the family will find joy in fulfilling that need. Because that's what family does. I want to I share this one just, just personal, just really quick to show you what I mean about family. When I first moved here, I went to work for a logging company, and any of you that have worked in the logging woods, you know that sometimes it rains. Actually, when you're a logger, it feels like it rains 10 months out of the year. And when it rains, you don't work. And when you don't work, for some reason, they don't send you a check. I cannot figure this part out. But in those moments, things got tight. We had Steven. He was just a baby, and... We're just doing things to make ends meet. And I'm a guy. So for me to pick up the phone and call anybody and say, hey, I need some help, probably not going to happen. But my lovely wife reached out to her dad, my my father-in-law. And it wasn't a, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, there was never a, well, let me see what I can come up with or, or we'll see what works out. I feel like before they got off the phone, the money was in the account. Because it was not a, well, you're, you're her husband. You should be providing. You should be giving them. You should be, you know what I mean? That, all those things that usually come in, there was none of that. It was a, I couldn't wait for you to call. I couldn't wait for you to pick up the phone because I have something I want to give you so bad not because I earned it, not because, just because he's my dad. And when you're a dad, when you're a family, you can't wait to invest. You can't wait to give. You're not judging people because they put themselves in a tight spot. You're looking for opportunities to get them out of a tight spot. So we have to quit standing on the outside judging people because maybe they didn't do it right, or they didn't get it right, or they should be better with their money. Maybe we should be better family. but it was in those times of being blessed when I had nothing that pushed us. Let's get a budget. Let's try this budget thing. Seems to work for everybody else. You know, if you, if you spend more than you make, it doesn't work. So the blessing didn't become a crutch. It didn't become an excuse for me to quit my job and say, well, pff, I'll just live off Paul law." No, it was a drive for me to say, you know what? I want to be able to do that. What if my son starts coming up and he gets in a bind and I can't give to him because I didn't take care of my stuff like my father-in-law did? But see, we don't see it this way in the family of God and we're just worried about as long as we're okay and as long as we're making and somebody's blessing us, but what about the new Christian coming into the family? What if they get in a bind? What if they get in a situation and we don't have the monetary or spiritual things they need to invest into them? then the family has been broken. and We can't invest like we want to. I recently heard a pastor say one of the most frustrating things that he's ever experienced was finding someone in need and not having the resources to fill it. That's family. So right now, just for a few minutes, these altars are open. If you're not saved and you want to be adopted in, please come find an altar. Find a person to pray with. There's nothing like being a child of God. And if you feel outside, if you feel disconnected, and you want to come up and talk to somebody or pray with somebody, do it. I'm telling you, do it. It's worth it. It's worth it to be a part of the family. It's worth it to know that this entire family will have your back. So she's going to play for just a few minutes. And if that's you, I'm asking you to make a move. Make a move this morning. Join the family. Thank you for listening to the Life Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.